Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Florida Politics, powered by Gannett. Mayor DeSantis fires back up with more controversial migrant flights. The governor's first full week on the presidential campaign trail includes plenty of sparring with Trump and a judge paused enforcement of Florida's recent ban on transgender health care for minors. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald Tribune political editor Zach Anderson. And those are some of the stories I'll be discussing this week with Gannett State Capitol reporter John Kennedy and Palm Beach Post politics editor Antonio Fins. But first... music means it's time for some numbers. A big number in Florida this week is number 10. That's Lionel Messi's number, the soccer star. He's coming to Inter-Miami, which is sure to cause quite a scene here in Florida, but we are a politics show, not a sports show, so I'm sure there's a lot of other good numbers floating around in the state this week. How about you, Antonio? You got a number for us? Well, as tempted as I am for 10, no, I'm at 12. 12. All right. Uh, I don't know any soccer stars uh, coming to Florida with that number. How about you, John? Zach, I have a big and very precise number this week. It's $3.13 billion. $3.13 billion. All right. John's going high this week. And my number is 1,221. Remember those numbers, folks. We'll tell you what they mean in Florida politics at the end of the show. Well, DeSantis sparked a contentious debate last year when he flew nearly 50 migrants from Texas to Martha's Vineyard. The incident has become part of his campaign stump speech now, a sign of his hardline immigration approach. And he is ramping that up with new flights uh, over the last week to California. A pair of flights carrying migrants landed in Sacramento recently, prompting California Governor Gavin Newsom and the state's attorney general to lash out at Florida's governor and threaten legal action, including possible kidnapping charges. DeSantis was silent on the issues for days until reports caught up with him at a recent uh, roundtable discussion that the governor staged near the border. And uh, DeSantis said he sent the migrants to California because it's, quote, a sanctuary state and that Florida is in position to help Texas transport migrants because of the state's budget surplus. John, there's a lot of aspects uh, to this story. There's the moral question, of course, about whether people are being treated humanely. There are legal questions. And then there's the political angle. Let's talk about the political stuff here. Do you think that it helps DeSantis to be brawling with Newsom like this? The two seem to love using each other as political foils. Well, it helps DeSantis as far as, uh, you know, he's able to look combative with a guy that is sort of vilified as, you know, the the left wing progressive from the left coast. But, you know, for Newsom, you know, a, a Democrat, he, he isn't going to take on Joe Biden. But this uh, DeSantis uh, battle uh, over sending migrants to Sacramento is uh, giving Newsom a chance to further elevate his national profile as kind of a hero to his party and to progressives around the country. Uh, he said his state is going to investigate the actions of DeSantis and the uh, state contractors used to send migrants from Texas first to New Mexico and then on to California. But, uh, you know, Newsom called the question hyperbole, but he he 
he wouldn't completely rule out the idea of charging DeSantis and state officials for kidnapping or similar charges with this latest stunt by the Florida John, governor. That seems a little over the top. Can you imagine DeSantis being charged with kidnapping? There's got to be some, just some posturing here by Newsom. You don't really think that would happen, do you? Well, yeah, you can't imagine. However, you know, when it comes to the contractors and uh, and how this was uh, uh, pulled off, uh, as we saw with the earlier uh, trip to Martha's Vineyard, yeah, there are some legal questions raised here. And if you have an aggressive uh, state attorney in the uh, or attorney general in California that wants to make a political statement as well. Well, who knows? And speaking of legal charges in Texas, the uh, sheriff there, um, where where uh, DeSantis, uh, uh, his contractor recruited the migrants for that Martha's Vineyard flight, the sheriff in that county is apparently uh, recommending charges in that case, uh, not kidnapping charges, but uh, some other charges. And, and uh, apparently they include felonies and misdemeanors. They wouldn't say who they want to see charged. Um, it does. It's not clear if it would be somebody in DeSantis' administration or somebody with the contractors. Um, you know, the district attorney there uh, is being recommended to prosecute and is investigating this. So there, there is some legal pitfalls here for DeSantis. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And that's Texas. You know, California is even more liberal when it comes to what they might go after DeSantis on. But, uh, you know, DeSantis, of course, is trying to stay relevant in an increasingly crowded field of, uh, you know, I'm not Trump. Republican presidential candidates, but whether he really benefits is debatable. I think whether, you know, when it comes to commandeering migrants from the Texas border and sending them to blue parts of America. But, you know, it at the very least puts DeSantis front and center in the minds of Republicans angry about the border crisis. And that's a very animating and large part of the Republican voting base. Uh, you know, similarly, Democrats have stood up for human rights in this country and in and in Ukraine, you know, which remember DeSantis a while ago dismissed as a territorial dispute. Well, Newsom is pushing back against DeSantis's bully boy tactics, and uh, he, Newsom is going to catch some attention among Democrats as someone who represents the party's values on this. Uh, you know, he may not be on the presidential ballot in 2024. Uh, you know, at least right now, it doesn't look that way. But but he may emerge as a as a formidable figure, maybe a presidential contender in the uh, post-Biden Democratic Party. What do you think, John? DeSantis hasn't really been bragging about these recent migrant flights. You know, the first one happened last Friday, um, and then there was another one on Monday. California authorities, Newsom, the state's attorney general, they started blasting DeSantis over the weekend and he waited until Wednesday, uh, three or four days after this had really blown up, to really say anything. And only when he was pressed by reporters at this um, roundtable near the border did he even uh, talk about it. His administration put out a statement the day before, but that was after days of people asking for uh, comment on this. I wonder, you know, it does seem like Politically, it's hard to see how this doesn't help DeSantis in a GOP primary, or he wouldn't be uh, pushing stuff like this. I mean, obviously, the GOP base is really animated over the immigration issue. Trump really pushed that in 2016. But I do wonder if people really think, you know, you should be flying people around using Florida taxpayer money to fly people from Texas who never even came to Florida to California. 
Um, I, I wonder, and, and or maybe DeSantis is being a little bit cautious on this because of the potential legal ramifications when people are threatening legal action. Um, but do you think this is entirely uh, beneficial to him politically? Yeah, you know, I guess, you know, maybe he's concerned about it sort of detracting a little bit from his overall message that he is trying to convey you know he's he's been campaigning relentlessly since he uh you know an, announced his campaign in that uh you know twitter uh followed up uh announcement just a couple of weeks ago um it, maybe he feel fears that this um um sending migrants to the to california issue could blow up on him it, it becoming too much of an issue for him and detracting from his you know other messages of you know success in florida that he's the conservative uh, uh get it done governor as opposed to uh trump who is is a lot of bluster and a lot of personality and a lot of charisma and all that stuff that desantis isn't but that desantis is trying to portray himself as the uh you know sane alternative uh, within the Republican world to Trump right now. So, you know, yeah, he seems to be trying to tread a little uh, cautiously with this. Yeah, when we remember back with the Martha's Vineyard trip of a year ago, too, DeSantis, um, I guess he did step forward pretty quickly and acknowledge that this was Florida doing this. Um, but uh, th that, too, was a little bit of a slow developing story as well, but not quite as uh, the governor was not quite as quiet in the Martha's Vineyard uh, episode as he has been with Sacramento. So, yeah, I guess he, he's juggling a lot right now when it comes to uh, how he's being perceived nationally. And uh, I, I guess there, there clearly is some risk with this, especially among uh, general election voters going forward. I, I don't think there's a lot of uh, the Americans that want to see people, uh, you know, seized from uh, Texas and dropped uh, here and there around the nation right now. I, I wonder, even with some conservatives, though, if they see this as a bit of a stunt, you know, it's one thing for Greg Abbott to bust migrants out of Texas. I mean, that's his state. He's he's the governor of the state. It's another thing for the governor of Florida to be flying migrants out of Texas. I mean, what business yeah. does the governor of Florida have? I, I don't know, but it's just it was kind of odd that DeSantis didn't say anything for for a number of days. He doesn't seem shy about uh, talking about what he wants to talk about, uh, whether or not it's on on topic for the day. So um, it was just uh, just noticeable that he was quiet for a while. And Tony, Antonio DeSantis uh, does really seem to be emphasizing the immigration issue here in the early part of his uh, presidential campaign. He's been sparring with Trump over some of the immigration debates during Trump's presidency. Um, he made this uh, surprise visit to the border this week with his roundtable. He's doing these migrant flights. Uh, his immigration positions are really getting some pushback at home, though, particularly uh, a new bill he passed this year that's causing concerns about a labor shortage. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening. You know, he's got a burgeoning immigration problem here in Florida, but the issue is not that we have too many immigrants, rather is we don't have enough. And look, and that's not me saying it, but rather it's state representative Rick Roth, a West Palm Beach Republican, who's, who's making that observation. What's the problem? Well, remember that legislation you and John covered in Tallahassee this spring, that Senate Bill 1718, that the governor signed into law back on May 10th? That law, among other features, raises criminal penalties on those who assist undocumented people, and it strengthens employment requirements and allows state law enforcement officials to conduct random audits of businesses and suspected of hiring undocumented workers. Now, 
the governor and the Florida, the Republican Florida supermajorities in the Senate and the House were warned that this law could backfire. They were reminded they reminded the governor and Republican lawmakers that Florida has a labor shortage and this legislation would only aggravate it by discouraging Latinos from coming here to find work. Folks, you know, that wasn't theory. We've been writing about the labor shortage for about two years now, and it's been particularly acute in service industries, hotels, restaurants, and attractions, as well as blue collar construction and farm work. Well, that law, SB 1718, hasn't even taken effect yet. And gentlemen, the repercussions are being seen. State Representative Rick Roth, who I mentioned earlier, he's in the agriculture business, and he says he believes the legislation may now be causing a, quote unquote, a major problem. Roth and two other Republican state lawmakers reportedly met this week to discuss that major problem, which Roth was quoted as saying is basically immigrant labor leaving the state because they fear becoming collateral damage. Roth insists the legislation has plenty of positives, but concedes it also has a negative has negative consequences that have to be addressed. Here's what he told one news outlet. The negative is there are families leaving Florida right now where some of them work, some of the where, where some of them work, uh, some of the family members are legal and some of them are not. But they're all deciding that they're not going to split up and live in two different states. So it's going to be a major problem for the agriculture, construction and tourism, which just about happens to be most jobs in Florida. So there you go. Uh, the, the law of unintended consequences, call it SB 1718. Yeah, and this could be a really big deal in Florida. You know, it's such a service-heavy economy, the tourism sector, restaurants, things like that. A lot of them do depend on uh, immigrant labor, um, some of it legal, uh, you know, some of it people coming over on visas and some of it um, undocumented. And so uh, it'll, it'll be really interesting to see how this plays out uh, and whether... Uh, you know, you start yeah, to see a backlash from businesses, which are, you know, uh, business leaders are an important constituent for the governor. And, and consumers, because this is part of the problem of why we have inflation. One of the reasons that prices are going up is because now restaurants, for example, are paying busboys 15, 18, almost, you know, 16, $17 an hour down here. Well, that's why you're part of the reason why your restaurant bill is going up. It's not just a rise in food costs, it's a rise in labor costs because we don't have enough workers. Yeah, I was actually just uh, driving my daughter to a summer camp uh, yesterday, and I noticed just driving by a Taco Bell, it caught my eye that like Taco Bell was offering to pay people like between 18 and $22 an hour. And I was like, wow, I mean, even, um, you know, the these fast food places are having a really hard time uh, getting labor if they're talking about $22 an hour. I don't see it to the degree I, I did about a year or so ago, but there were times where some of these fast food, the Burger Kings and McDonald's were closed early in the evening. They wouldn't go up to 11 o'clock. They closed at seven or eight because they just didn't have enough workers. Yeah. Huge deal. Uh, something that uh, is going to be really important to, to watch here as, as uh, the state continues to boom, the economy continues to grow and people keep moving here. Uh, it's going to be uh, a big deal to see if we can fill all these jobs. Well, immigration is just one of many issues DeSantis has been talking about a lot during the early stretch of his presidential campaign, which has included stops in early voting states like Iowa and New Hampshire. 
Hampshire and South Carolina. DeSantis is really leaning into hard right positions on everything uh, from COVID-19 to guns and crime. Antonio, what are, what are your thoughts on how DeSantis has performed on the trail so far and his efforts to, to really run to the right of Trump? He really tr seems to be trying to, um, you know, out Trump Trump to be more conservative, to to kind of uh, run to his right flank. Do you think he can be the 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 you think they can overdo Trump here in this race? Well, Zach, I, you know, I think the issue is more like, can he pin Trump down? Because Trump has been a bit of, as we say in Spanish, a chancleta, a flip-flop in the past month. For example, when asked in a CNN town hall if he supported a national abortion ban, Trump said he's, he wanted to see what gets negotiated. In Iowa last week, he condemned wokeism and then said he wasn't really sure what the term woke meant, whether it was really worth using it and, and using it so much politically. He has blasted DeSantis for the assault on Walt Disney World's self-governing status, saying it could hurt Florida economically, but then said Disney was acting in a quote-unquote disgusting fashion. So what's going on here? Well, one theory is Trump is leading the growing field of Republican presidential rivals by wide double-digit margins, and if polls, are to be, if polls are to be believed, and he may have his eyes on a pivot a little closer to the middle to shore up his standing against Biden down the road. In fact, there have been reports that he's told evangelicals that they need to back off demanding more restrictions on abortions, presumably because they are unpopular across the country. All this after Trump actually co-opted key pieces of DeSantis's cultural war agenda soon after announcing his presidential comeback campaign last November. He made numerous references to parental rights and education and then added a call for school principals to be elected positions and criticized transgender athletes competing in women's sports. Now, what we do know is this. Trump right now remains singularly focused on attacking DeSantis. And he has not gone after any of the, the other challengers with as much firepower and vitriol as he has gone after the governor. Maybe, as, as we've said on this podcast, maybe it's personal or maybe it's that pundits have re repeatedly asserted that, that Trump fears DeSantis is his most formidable challenger. Now, DeSantis has been out swinging and taking more shots at Trump. And like you know that he's accused Trump of moving to the left. And he was, you know, the Sanders out of the border again this week to punctuate his stand on an issue that does remain of paramount interest to GOP voters. Now, how effective is all of this? We won't really know until next month as we see more polls and see how give this poll, you know, the Sanders attacks on Trump's and his strategy on Trump, you know, see it soak into the GOP body politic. And maybe even until we get to that August 23rd debate stage in Milwaukee. Now, the interesting thing here, Zach, is, is the entry into the field this week by former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie and former Vice President Mike Pence. Both Christie and Pence went at Trump hard in their campaign kickoff speeches. So why is this important? Be well, we focus so much on how DeSantis is going to strike at Trump. But if Pence and Christie are going to go after Trump with gusto in the next few months, it may help DeSantis and lessen a little bit of the pressure on him to keep be the, be the one I mean, the attack dog on Trump if, if these two others go after him harder and, and maybe allow DeSantis to sort of stay above the fray as, as the alternative, you know, the, the Trumpiest alternative uh, without having to get into the, you know, the mudslinging battles with him, which we know 
seldom ends well for whoever tries to attack Trump. You make a good point about whether he can pin Trump down on these issues. I mean, Trump, uh, you know, is kind of famous for sort of just saying what he wants to at the time and and then saying other things later. I mean, he doesn't seem to be defined or let himself be defined by his positions on any of these issues. And I'm not sure that he is really uh, seen that way in the minds of a lot of GOP voters. I mean, I think that they they have a general impression of him that is just sort of like this pugnacious, you know, kind of uh, wrecking ball who will go in there and and, and say and do whatever. And, and But in general, they just feel like he's on their side. And I, I wonder if trying to say, well, Trump is not conservative enough, it, it really resonates. I mean, uh, he got that attack in the 2016 race and was able to beat candidates who labeled themselves more conservative, most famously uh, Ted Cruz, who, uh, you know, kind of made it the longest, but but still uh, wasn't able to rally uh, conservatives to his side to, to take out Trump. Do you think that th- this race will be decided on issues, Antonio? Well, that's a good question, at least in the GOP primary, because you you're right. I mean, part of the issue here is Trump's appeal is that he is this wrecking ball, you know, this disruptor and this this tenacious fighter. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've attended all these rallies. We've spoken to people at the rallies. Those rallies are not pol- public policy statements. They are this you know, sort of this political Rocky Horror picture show. And that's because a lot of the base that is is in that, that MAGA crowd they're not so much into the the policy wonkish stuff. That was Jeb Bush's problem and part of his problem and part of you know Marco Rubio's and the other and Ted Cruz and all, is that they wanted to get into the, the weeds of policy. And that's not what this particular faction of the Republican base, which is a very significant and important one, that's not what they're about. You know, they they want to see a fighter, they want to see the culture wars. They they don't they, they're not gonna, you know, it's like with this conversation we're having about immigration. Well, you know. They're not into the weeds about whether there's a, twice as many open positions in Palm Beach County as there are people to work. They, they want to see action on the border. They, they want to see, you know, the, the, the porous border, the wall come up. And so I, you know, I, I think you're right. I, I, I just think that this is probably not going to be that effective because that part of the base that they're appealing in, the, 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 the lane that they're in, that's not what they want to hear, and that's not what they're really they're looking for in a candidate. Yeah, and I, I wonder if DeSantis really just feels like he's got to check some of these boxes and and prove his conservative bona fides, and then um, you know he can go and, and make some of these other arguments, these electability arguments, and other things, and 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 see uh, how that plays out as the race, um, uh, you know, kind of wears on here. But uh, maybe uh, his sort of uh, the the price of entry uh, to even have a chance at taking out Trump is to prove to conservatives that he's one of them. So we'll see. Well, among the issues that will get plenty of attention in the presidential campaign is transgender health care, which DeSantis is really focused on. And there was a big ruling in Florida this week on that front. A judge blocked enforcement of the state's ban on transgender affirming care, calling the rule an exercise in politics, not in good medicine. John, this doesn't affect a lot of kids, but it's a pretty big ruling. It is a a significant step. Uh, While it only applies to three individuals whose parents sued to allow them to continue getting access to hormones and other gender-affirming care, uh, the ruling really may signal a deeper problem with the law when it eventually reaches 
the trial level. Uh, the the Tallahassee federal judge, uh, Robert Hinkle, his ruling said that the ban that DeSantis and the Republican legislature approved is, quote, not a legitimate state interest. So while the law stays on the books for now, Hinkle may be suggesting that at trial, it could be found that the state's ban on such treatment is more a matter for the medical community to decide and not Florida politicians. But we'll see. That's uh, that that trial is probably still far off. But for you know a governor who has uh, really touted parental rights, it was noteworthy that uh, that Hinkle called the law quote a remarkable intrusion into parental prerogatives, and uh, that it he concluded that it seemed motivated primarily by opposition to transgender people, which is the claim that a lot of the uh, LGBT community has been saying uh, as this law advanced. But, you know, when you look across the country, uh, this seems to be a thing, though, among Republican-dominated states. Um, And it does seem to be part of the steady mantra of conservatism coming from each and every Republican presidential candidate right now. So um, on the Republican side, anything to uh, further limit transgenderism in this uh, through policy seems to be something that they're going to continue promoting. So whether uh, this ruling by Hinkle has that much staying power is still uh, something to be seen. Yeah, um, but it certainly is going to get kicked around politically. And, and uh, I, you know, it does seem like the transgender issue is, is really going to be one of the bigger issues in this uh, presidential campaign, which is kind of remarkable. Well, let's move on to um, some numbers here. Antonio, you want to tell us about yours? Yeah, Zach, I had 12. 12 is the number of Florida Republicans in the U.S. House, plus our two U.S. senators, by the way who voted against the deal to raise the debt ceiling last week. Only half of the 20 House Republicans from Florida, 10 of them, voted no, as did Marco Rubio and Rick Scott in the U.S. Senate. Now, this is intriguing because 149 other House Republicans voted yes. That equals 66 percent or two thirds of the House GOP caucus. So what it tells us is this, that on what was a hands down the most important issue to be decided by the current Congress. Florida's congressional delegation voted hard right. They voted not to accept the compromise of spending reductions with the rise in the national borrowing limit through January of 2025. It was an 11th hour deal that averted what would have been a financially crippling default. Now, while former President Trump called for a debt default unless quote unquote massive cuts were conceded by Democrats, that doesn't mean those Florida GOPers who voted no all wanted a default. That's an important distinction. They just wanted deeper cuts. But the 149 Republicans who went with the deal had an alternative as well. Congressman Cory Mills of Port Orange offered a one-week reprieve to negotiate deeper cuts. So the entire GOP caucus could have opted for that measure, that one-week reprieve to get a better deal, and, and, and then play a real, really play a game of chicken on the debt, but they didn't, they chose not to. So bottom line is this, the November 2022 midterm election in Florida gave Republicans a mandate, if not an obliga- obligation, to adhere to a hard right, no compromise line, no deals, our way or no way. But the 149, the two thirds of Republicans that went with the deal negotiated by President Joe Biden, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, shows that what is popular among Florida Republicans isn't so palatable elsewhere.
That, that is pretty interesting, Antonio, that there was such a large number of Florida Republicans who voted against this deal when when you look at um, the most Republicans supported it, you know, and uh, I wonder some of the reasons behind that. I wonder if part of it is like the Republicans in Florida aren't really in the leadership. They don't have skin in the game here. You don't have a lot of them on commit leading you know, none of them I don't I don't think leading committees um in the house um and they're also kind of some of them are pretty politically ambitious like Matt Gates and Byron Donalds and others who maybe want to run for governor or some other office someday and are positioning themselves in a GOP primary uh, Marco Rubio and Rick Scott as well might want to run for other things that uh, it was fascinating to see how many folks from Florida um, actually oppose this. So, uh, John, you want to tell us about your number? 3.13 is bi billion, was billion dollars. And uh, that's what Governor DeSantis vetoed last year from the state budget. And this year, there's a lot of speculation he may top that figure when he uh, signs the state budget any day now. Uh, I, I say any day because the governor this week said he planned to sign the new budget for the year beginning July 1st, quote, very, very soon. But um, the compliant legislature is on DeSantis time, and uh, they, have, they haven't sent him the budget yet to act on. Um, you know, with the governor campaigning last week in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and this week he's out collecting presidential cash at the uh, a series of fundraisers in Texas, uh, along with his appearance near the Arizona border. Uh, well, well, he hasn't had a lot of time or real interest in doing anything with the budget approved over a month ago now by, by state lawmakers. But um, th th this budget is huge. It's $117 billion. That's more than $7 billion uh, more than last year's final number after the governor uh, excised uh, that $3.13 billion in programs and projects, which uh, was a record for him at that time. Um, but, you know, th there's a good chance that given the vast amount of member projects in this budget, he'll have a, a chance to cut it back. Uh, his his only answer to the Republicans who were so supportive of him and his uh, seemingly endless roster of culture war issues uh, may be, well, sorry, you know, I cut your project. But uh, that's kind of the way it, it happens in uh, Tallahassee with the budget. Um, the budget does have 1,540 so-called member projects that are worth uh, $3.2 billion. So uh, this is some of the, the hometown favorite projects that legislators have brought home to their districts, but uh, that's likely to get pared back significantly by the governor. Uh, you know, many speculate at this point. But, uh, you know, running for president, De DeSantis is going to want to look thrifty. And uh, he probably wants to make a statement in his home state here about, uh, you know, his fiscal conservatism. So uh, he doesn't want any of these, uh, you know, big government conservative labels that once attached to the Bush family in their presidential runs, uh, you know, now being tacked onto him. So, uh, so basically watch for cuts to come, you know, whenever the governor gets at that spending plan. Yeah, he sure seems to be taking his sweet time to uh, approve the budget here. Well, my number is 1,221. That's how many groups were labeled extremist organizations by the Southern Poverty Law Center in its new 
annual report. And among those groups is Moms for Liberty, which was founded in Florida about two years ago by three current and former school board members. Moms for Liberty has been one of the hottest new groups in GOP politics after riding a wave of education activism centered around culture war issues. And the group has really close ties to Governor Ron DeSantis, who received a a sword from the organization as a defender of liberty during its first uh, annual conference in Tampa last year. DeSantis and Trump are speaking at the Moms for Liberty conference this year. So it sent some shockwaves through Florida political circles that Moms for Liberty is being tagged as an extremist group because of its positions on LGBTQ and racial issues. Moms for Liberty co-founder Bridget Ziegler, a Sarasota County school board member called the move by SPLC, quote, reckless. Many conservatives believe that SPLC is a deeply biased organization, but it's still one of the leading authorities in the United States on extremism. Moms for Liberty now joins militia groups like the Oath Keepers and other notorious far-right organizations like the Proud Boys on the extremist list. Lumping conservative moms in with Proud Boys might seem like a bridge too far for some, but here in Sarasota County, the Proud Boys were prominently involved in the recent school board races along with Moms for Liberty. So there's definitely some overlap. Those are the times we're living in. That wraps up another episode of Inside Florida Politics. I want to thank our audio production guru, Thomas Cordy. And thanks to all of you for listening. We're out of here. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.